0: Military and justice episode on the Anything and Everything with Doris podcast. You're listening to a military and justice episode on the Anything and Everything with Doris podcast. This episode is brought to you by WYSK Spark Radio, the Spark of the South. Find it on Live 365 Spark Radio. Hello, everyone. I have been working on the ACCA dated 2016, April 28th. You can find it on the website www.militaryandjusticelawyer.com. Then go to the tab on the right and click case. Then you will see on the first row, second button listed ACCA and click on it. You will then be able to read the entire petition for yourself. I have decided not to read the entire petition to you since it is so long. However, I am going to go over the main points in order to give you the information in a more condensed version. Everything will be read directly from the petition that was filed, and again, you will be able to see it for yourself on the website. In this episode, I will go over the summary of argument, which starts on page 4 of the ACCA petition. And I hope after going through this, you will see a little bit more of how an innocent soldier can be convicted without any proof any evidence at all. You can follow me on pages 4, 5, and 6 under Summary of Argument. A writ of hobbyist corpus should be issued because the very nature of the writ demands that it be administered with the initiative and flexibility essential to ensure that miscarriages of justice within its reach are surfaced and corrected. That can be found with Harris v. Nelson, 1969. Hobbyist Corpus is and has for centuries been a bulwark against convictions that violate fundamental fairness. That can be found under Dredge v. Haley, 2004. The items of factual evidence from the record of trial set forth in this petition in brief abundantly and clearly show that the panel's findings and sentence at Petitioner's Court Martial were directly affected by the unlawful command influence of Colonel Bloss, the General Court Martial Convening Authority otherwise called the GCMCA, second-in-command, and alter ego, who was appointed as the president of Petitioner's Panel by the GCMCA. In addition to being the GCMCA's second-in-command and president of the panel, Colonel Bloss was the direct supervisor of at least one panel member who was at that time expecting her final evaluation from Colonel Bloss before her retirement the following year and who therefore had a vested personal interest in not incurring Colonel Bloss's disfavor. In addition to Colonel Bloss' Colonel Derbyshire, the G.C.M.C.A.'s personal advisor on all things pertaining to morale, morality, and ethics, was brought in by the government as a prosecution witness against petitioner. While as the G.C.M.C.A.'s deputy, Colonel Bloss's authority over the panel members was command authority. Colonel Derbyshire's authority as the G.C.M.C.A.'s personal advisor in all things pertaining to morale, morality, and ethics over the members was a moral authority from the G.C.M.C.A. Together, Colonel Bloss and Colonel Derbyshire's presence at petitioners' court martial in their respective roles, being the GCMCA's right and left hands, was equal to having the GCMCA himself exerting command pressure on the members to find petitioner guilty, despite the fact that no physical evidence at all was found to corroborate any of the charges and oral testimony against petitioner. The Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces has ruled that command influence is the mortal enemy of military justice and that command influence involves a corruption of the truth-seeking function of the trial process. You can find that under U.S. Verse Thomas, 2013. For these reasons, military courts martial were bound by Congress when it enacted the Uniform Code of Military Justice and the Military Justice Act of 1968 to ensure that the said truth-seeking function of the trial process is not corrupted by the introduction of the command influence into the deliberation room, as the people and the accused are bound to yield subjection to the decisions of a court-martial. From that it follows that as soon as a court-martial sets itself above the law in a nation governed by the rule of law, by through neglect or intent, allowing the command to in fact or in public appearance enter the deliberation room as abundantly shown under the issue brought to this honorable court's attention in this petition and brief. Depriving a U.S. citizen of his freedom and honor, the court-martial is lost to the tyrant. The court-martial, to all intents and purposes, does uncourt itself, by acting out of and beyond the sphere which the Constitution, Congress, the UCMJ, the RCM, and the Military Justice Act of 1968 allow it and require it to move in, and in such cases its decisions are no more binding and legal than those of any inferior officer who acts beyond his commission? The court-martial's authority to convict then ceases. Consequently, when a court-martial thus finds an accused guilty and sentences him to dishonor and confinement, the court-martial's findings and sentence constitute a grave miscarriage of justice which violates fundamental fairness. This honorable court, as well as other military courts, have ruled that once the issue of unlawful command influence is properly placed at issue, no reviewing court may properly affirm findings and sentence unless the court is persuaded beyond a reasonable doubt that the findings and sentence have not been affected. By the command influence. And that can be found U.S. v. Thomas, 1986, U.S. v. Witt, 2014, U.S. v. Mobley, 2013, and U.S. v. Johnson, 2013. Consequently, This Honorable Court has the authority and the responsibility under the law and its own rulings to remedy this miscarriage of justice, now that it has surfaced and has been properly placed at issue with this petition in brief, and now that it has been brought to this Honorable Court's attention, Harris v. Nelson, 1969, by accepting reviewing and acting upon this petition for writ of hobbyist corpus. So now it's beginning to make sense how one of our United States of America soldiers can be convicted after being falsely accused without having any proof at all. They can be convicted due to command influence. And it would be plausible that if an officer is about to retire... They would not want to rock the boat during any hearing or trial or anything else going on, right? In fact, things like this have happened so much over the decades that Congress had to enact the Uniform Code of Military Justice and the Military Justice Act of 1968 to ensure that command influence does not affect seeking the truth During the trial process. If this has you upset, just wait until we start breaking it down further. This concludes this episode of Military Injustice. For comments or questions, you can reach us by email at yappy at post.com. Also check us out on Twitter at Dorisi and our Facebook pages at Yapi Studio or Louisiana Entertainment Association. Look for the Military Injustice logo on the Anything and Everything with Doris podcast for another episode of Military Injustice. Thank you for listening to a Military Injustice episode on the Anything and Everything with Doris podcast.